The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 16, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I know... I uh, remind you at the end of every podcast, but I do want to take a second to do the same at the top. If you haven't subscribed to the Ion College Basketball Podcast YouTube channel yet, please go do that. It's good for you, selfishly. It's good for us. If you're here listening right now, I, I think I can assume um, you either hate football. I mean, just absolutely hate playoff football. Uh, or you or you, you, you dig what we're doing. Otherwise, what are you doing here? So if you dig what we do, the best way to show it in a meaningful way is to subscribe to the YouTube channel and any other place you might consume the Ion College Basketball Podcast. To those of you who have already done it, thank you. To those of you who haven't, I thank you in advance for correcting that mistake. It's simple. It's quick. So please, if you can, uh, go help us out with that. All right. So it was a wild weekend in the sport of college basketball with lots of ranked teams losing home games they were supposed to win. Baylor lost at home to unranked Oklahoma State. USC lost at home to unranked Oregon. Michigan State lost at home to unranked Northwestern. LSU lost at home to unranked Arkansas. I promise you we're going to touch on all of those things and other things before we're done, plus Kentucky's total destruction of Tennessee. But I did want to start at the tip top of the sport because Auburn, came from 14 points down at Ole Miss on Saturday night to win 80-71 and improve to 16-1 overall, 5-0 in the SEC. Deadleg, when we discussed this last week, we were in agreement that Auburn should be ranked number one after Baylor lost to Texas Tech. As previously noted, uh, Baylor just lost again. So now the conversation for number one, it seems to be between Auburn and Gonzaga. If you've seen the top 25 and one, you know I believe it should be Auburn number one, Gonzaga number two. My question is this, you still with me? Or has Gonzaga's historically great start in the WCC changed your opinion at all? Yeah, how about the Zags, by the way? Uh, we're going to whip around the entire weekend later in the podcast, but since you brought it up, uh, Gonzaga has been absurd and is averaging 114 points per game through its first three WCC contests. And that includes a game against BYU, which is a position to make the tournament. Uh, this is a fun, fun little debate here. And as we sit and talk on Sunday afternoon, by the way, hello. Yes. Thank you for joining us. If you are watching live on YouTube, very easy to go second screen experience here. You can go NFL playoffs, Cowboys, Niners, and us as well. And we'll be done well before that game even gets to halftime. So to everyone who is with us live, we very much appreciate you. If you got to us later on Sunday night or Monday, we appreciate you all the same here. But uh, I'm like, I believe we decided to go head to head with Nance and Romo. But you know what? I think you're I, true. 
True, but I think you and I and Nada would all agree that it's actually going to, this is a nice little change of pace and we'll be done. We'll have the Sunday nights to ourselves and we don't get a lot of opportunities like this in the season when there's just nothing relevant in men's college basketball for the remainder of Sunday, at least we're saving on. So why not just get it done uh, here now? We would have been here at like four because Eagles Bucks was atrocious, but uh, had to make a little uh, trip to the in-laws and then come back home. So otherwise we would have been starting even earlier. Blame it on me. Glad to be here. Gonzaga, Auburn, fun little debate. I got him a big picture. Doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot to me because I think that no matter the team that winds up number one here on Monday, they're going to fall out of this spot within two weeks' time anyway. I think Gonzaga's going to take another loss soon. Or if Auburn's number one, first time in program history, great stuff. Auburn's not going to be able to hang there for too long. So we're really talking prisoner of the moment right now. Who is the team that deserves to be number one? From a resume, and this is where I want to tee you up directly here because I did not check your top 25, and when I wanted to kind of learn it from you on the pod and get your reasoning for it, resume-wise, it's inarguable right now that Auburn has the superior resume to Gonzaga but two-pronged question for you one are we sure there's no one else that's deserving to sit at that table and be the be part of this question right now and two to help listeners understand how you do this you update the rankings every single day I think there's a shift you make at some point in the season and I want to bring light to it when you talk in the preseason, first couple of weeks, and you're ranking these teams, I think a lot of it is is based off of, yes, results, but also a certain expectation and projection of where the teams are. Now, is it more accurate to say that your rankings really serve as almost a, a de facto bracketology guidance, right? Because you're looking at a lot of quad one records, quad two records, and if you've got Auburn number one over Gonzaga, I think it's fair to say you are doing that because from a bracketing standpoint, if we started the tournament tomorrow, Auburn would probably be the number one overall seed. It would not be Gonzaga. But from a metric standpoint, Gonzaga is still regarded as the better team. That's exactly right. Um, you know, I, I do start with preseason bias. It's my own. It's not some algorithm I have in my head. It's my own preseason bias. And what happens as the season progresses is I assume you are what I thought you were until you prove otherwise. So if I thought you were going to be good, I assume you're good until you show me you're not. And if I thought you were going to be bad, I assume you're bad until you show me you're not. And it's a bit of a sliding scale. The deeper we get into the season, the more that uh, the, 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 the less that anything that I thought in the preseason matters anymore. Um, and we're just about at the point where nothing that I thought in the preseason has anything to do with my rankings. More to the point, no computer rankings have anything to do with my line of thinking. Now, I'm aware of all of the numbers. I, I promise you, if you tweet me about the top 25 and one, there is no scenario where you've thought about any of this stuff as much as I have. Um, there might be somebody out there who thinks about this stuff more than I do, but the list is short. And I promise you, it's, it's not the, the people who are tweeting about it. I can tell by the questions they're asking. So sometimes I'll get a question. Oh, if you put this team and that team on a neutral court, who do you think would win? I don't know. That's not the way I think about it at all. At this point, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, rank you based on what you've done or what you have not done. And, um, and, and it is very much resume based, not completely resume based, but very much resume based taking other uh, variables as well. How you've been playing lately. Have you been murdering people? Um, if you took a loss, was it COVID related? Was it injury related? Um, all of that stuff has to be thrown in the pot and mixed up. But when you throw everything in the pot and mix it up to answer your question, um, is there anybody else who deserves to sit at the table with Auburn at number one and have a conversation in this moment, 10 weeks into the season? I don't think so. I, I don't think you can intelligently argue 
that there is any team in the country that has a better resume, body of work, than the Auburn Tigers right now. To your point, if the NCAA tournament were starting right now, I'd bet everything I own that the selection committee would name Auburn the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying you can't reasonably rank Gonzaga number one on your AP ballot on Monday if you want to. It would just mean that you subscribe to a different line of thinking than I do. The argument for Gonzaga is easy. Okay, they don't have the resume that Auburn has, but that's because they haven't had the opportunities that Auburn has had. But look at the computer numbers. They're clearly awesome. They're blowing out everybody now. And on a neutral court, the Zags would be favored over literally anybody in the country, including Auburn. And so I'm going to put Gonzaga number one. Like you're, if you're a Gonzaga voter, I just told you how to rationalize it. That's what you do. I just take a different approach. You use the word deserve, and I think that's the perfect word. Who deserves it? And I think Auburn deserves it. 16 and one, and I'll just run you through a little bit of this stuff. 16 and one overall, five and zero in the SEC. Tigers are four and one in quadrant one, four and zero in quadrant two. So they're eight and one in the first two quadrants with zero additional losses. To compare it. Gonzaga is four and two in quadrant one, one and zero in quadrant two. So the Zags are five and two in the first two quadrants. Again, Auburn is eight and one in the first two quadrants with the same number of quadrant one wins as Gonzaga and one fewer loss overall. The Zags are five and two in the first two quadrants. Auburn eight and one in the first two quadrants. Auburn has the best winning percentage inside the first two quadrants of any team in the country at 88.9%. That's 17.5 points better than Gonzaga's winning percentage inside the first two quadrants which is 71.4. Auburn is also the only team in the country that hasn't lost in regulation. Only loss was a double overtime loss on a neutral court to UConn. They have a 13-game winning streak right now that is tied with Davidson for the longest in the sport. Auburn is also number one in strength of record. Gonzaga, for what it's worth, is number 10. And Auburn and Gonzaga, if you care, they do have a common opponent. It's Alabama. Auburn beat the Crimson Tide 81-77 on the road inside Coleman Coliseum. Gonzaga lost to the Crimson Tide 91-82 in Seattle, Washington. Gonzaga is good. Gonzaga is number one in most metrics. But if the question is who, is the question is who deserves to be number one in the country right now, ranked there by humans, it should be Auburn. Bruce Pearl's Tigers should be ranked number one in the AP poll on Monday for the first time in school history. So just so we're clear on all this, uh, if Auburn and Gonzaga play tomorrow on a neutral, who would you pick to win? I don't know. I mean, I know, I know that Gonzaga would, would be favored. Gonzaga I know that would be favored, and if they played tomorrow, it's a tough one. I think I'd narrowly pick Gonzaga, and because of that, I'd have Gonzaga number one. I got no issue with Auburn being number one whatsoever, and you can say, again, deserve. I don't know. But, yeah, just to your point, I just want to make – I want to make sure it's just clear to listeners, and particularly people that read your rankings pretty much every day, the way that Parrish is doing this – I think might run slightly counter to how some people might think that he is doing this. Okay. Again, how he is doing it is more aligned with resume based accomplishment as opposed to team a versus team B on a neutral. Who do I think is better if you can split almost everything else? There's a difference in that. I think it's important to make that. I, I, I tell you where I think we would, where the conversation would get a little more difficult because I do think you have to take into account, you know, when I say Auburn is eight and one in the first two quadrants and Gonzaga is four and two, uh, that, what that also means is Auburn has had three more opportunities than Gonzaga in those first two quadrants. What would Gonzaga be if they had those three opportunities? That's the thing you have to consider. I, I think the tipping point here, if there is a tipping point, it's, it's the Alabama situation. You know, if, if Gonzaga was sitting here um, six and one 
in the first two quadrants and uh, and, and with a win over Alabama, similar to Auburn's win over Alabama, then I think you can have a little bit of a conversation. You know, but you'd be talking about two one-loss teams that have both been good inside quadrant, the first two quadrants, that both have strong computer numbers. Then I think you can actually maybe try to make the case for Gonzaga from a deserved perspective. But once Gonzaga's got two losses instead of one, and the one of their losses to, is to a team, one of their losses is in, the, is in their home state to a team that Auburn beat in its home arena on the road, I just think that tips the scales. It's among the things that tips the scales in, in Auburn's favor. Yeah, and by the way, Auburn, uh, it's in the spot because it won – at Ole Miss on the road, pulled away late. It was a close game until, uh, I want to say like five minutes to go or so. And it got 20 points, 10 boards, and seven blocks out of Walker Kessler. Katie Johnson is yet another player on this team who is multifaceted. Probably doesn't get as much run as he should, but there's a lot of studs on this group. Uh, he had 14 points. He had three three-pointers. He also had three steals there. So uh, a good win for Auburn to put him in this spot. We talked about this, if not on the previous podcast, two shows ago. Auburn's highest ranking ever, I wanted to bring this up in real time here, is, the, is number two. It's done it three times. 99-2000 uh, season, 98-99 season. It got as high as second in both of those seasons. And then way Way back in the 58-59 season, Auburn reached second in the poll. Um, I think Auburn is going to be two when the AP Top 25 publishes on Monday. Again, uh, awesome team, whatever. Like in the in the moment, it would be incredible and something significant for that program to say we have been the number one ranked team. But it's also great that they can be number two. And I think we're going to look up in two weeks and some of this stuff just isn't going to matter as much because Auburn and Gonzaga probably will be projected on the one line no matter what and the two line at worst. One real other quick thing on this, though. Because again, I didn't I didn't look at your rankings. I'm just curious where you have them. If you look in terms of resume accomplishments, uh, there's another team that's close in this conversation that I don't think anyone is really considering for this it, level. Because right now, as we let, speak, me, let me see if I can guess what it is. What team is it? Wisconsin. Correct. Which I have third in the top 25 and one. Perfect. Okay. Because Baylor, Wisconsin, and Iowa State are the only teams with five quad one wins. And if you combine quad one and quad two. Wisconsin has more than any other team in the country. Wisconsin is currently nine and two against quad one and quad two. And for all intents and purposes, when we talk about how teams get into the tournament, be it with seeding at large on the bubble, your quad one number means a ton for sure, especially if you're trying to split hairs. Quad one, quad two, those are the wins that actually matter. Quad three and quad four, you don't want to play a ton and you certainly don't want to lose those games. So it, to simplify it, that's really what those things are. Uh, how they split up. And as we get closer to the tournament, we'll remind listeners about where these arbitrary breaks are, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need to worry too much about that right here now, but Wisconsin has a wonderful record against the high end of its schedule and its losses are both good Providence at home. Johnny Davis wasn't even in that game. And then obviously a respectable loss on paper to Ohio state, albeit uh, the Buckeyes ran Bucky off the floor in that. So Wisconsin doesn't deserve to be, I think sitting at the table with Auburn and Gonzaga, but it's right off to the side. Like it's, it's ready to pull up a chair there and coming off um, a win against Ohio state on the road Thursday, Wisconsin didn't play this week. And I think that also factors in if Wisconsin had played uh, a quad one opponent and was sitting here at 15 and two, as we talk now, I actually think there might be a little bit of a conversation to be had as it stands. Wisconsin's next game will come Tuesday at Northwestern. I uh, noticed some of the comments on the YouTube stream. Um, just a couple of things. And I'm not going to make a habit of addressing every comment I see. It sort of gets the podcast off the rails a little bit. But, you know, one person said, uh, you know, Parrish is just making the argument for Auburn because he wants a new number one. What? Like, I've been the biggest proponent of Gonzaga, you know, for years now. There, there is nothing that I would enjoy watching more 
than Gonzaga winning a national championship so that the people who act like stupidly Gonzaga can't win a national championship would have to at that point be quiet. Um, so like, that's just silly. Um, and, and the other comment I saw is that, well, Auburn uh, just has a bunch of quad two wins. And so why does that put Auburn ahead of uh, Gonzaga? Um, Auburn's got a better record in quad one than Gonzaga. Auburn's four and one quadrant one. Gonzaga's four and two. Uh, again, if you want to make the argument for Gonzaga, I already told you how to do it. But if we're talking about who deserves, and I guess this is the best way to put it, who deserves to be ranked number one in the country based off what they've actually done since the beginning of this season, since the season started, I do not think there's any actual intelligent debate for anybody other than Bruce Pearl's Auburn Tigers, which is not to suggest Gonzaga isn't awesome. Let me walk you through this real quick. 14-2 and overall, 3-0 and in the WCC. First three West Coast Conference games, 117-83 over Pepperdine, 110-84 over BYU, 115-83 over Santa Clara. Destroying people. It's a 26-point win over a BYU team that's beaten Oregon, St. Mary, San Francisco. I now have BYU, by the way, in the top 25 and one at number 23. It's a 32-point win over a Santa Clara team that's beaten TCU in Stanford. And I saw this from ESPN Stats and Info. Gonzaga has the best three-game points per game average in Division I with 114 points per game. And the Zags also just shot 60% from the field over the past three games. That's the best field goal percentage in any three-game span by any Division I team this season. Drew Timmy averaging 31 points, six and a half rebounds in his past two outings. Gonzaga is walloping the competition right now. Again, if you want to make the case for Gonzaga to be number one, use some of that stuff and mix it in with their number one in most of the computers. It'll be fine. But, um, you know, if we're looking at what have you done, what have you not done in terms of racking up wins and avoiding losses, uh, I still think the scale's tipped to Auburn. Next up for Gonzaga, by the way, uh, Thursday's rescheduled game. This was just announced this afternoon uh, with San Francisco. You and I stayed up late last night, Saturday night, watching San Francisco and BYU. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it was it was nice after you know. Frankly, the uh, Bills Patriots was just. You know, it was fun to watch the Patriots get romped. Sorry to our new, fellow New England based um, college hoops fans like myself here, but I'm a Bears fan, not a Pats fan. And so I like I like when you have a little bit of. Let's change the plot after 20 years if we could. Anyway, with that game being a snoozer, uh, we had a couple of good ones, and we'll get to what Oregon's been able to do. But yes, BYU comes back late, gets the win there. We'll see if the Dons which are a solid defensive team. We'll see if the Dons can keep the Zags under 100 when they play Thursday. Uh, Interesting game, nonetheless. And we've got, trust me, a lot of noise on Saturday. We'll get to all of those upsets of ranked teams versus unranked opponents, but you want to to swerve into what was arguably the most impressive performance that we saw on Saturday, at least... My opinion, it was. Uh, It wasn't an upset, but the way it happened was as surprising as maybe any other thing we saw. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. 
That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Incredible offensive performance on Saturday. That was nearly matched by an incredible offensive performance on Sunday by your likely future Big East champions. But let's start with what happened in Rupp Arena. Um, They destroyed Tennessee. 107-79. You wrote about it. So I'll just let you give us the highlights of Kentucky's latest um, impressive performance. Well, my big picture takeaway of this is that I think Saturday's win against Tennessee, the way it happened and how it happened, 107 to 79. For that fan base and and the people of Lexington and people who support Kentucky, I think it's one of those games where, you know, you and I and, 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 you know, avid college basketball fans might forget about the game for the most part two or three years from now, but it's going to mean something and become one of those local legendary kind of performances there because Joby Hall famed, absolutely beloved coach of Kentucky's program. He took it over after being an assistant for what, seven, eight seasons under Adolph Rupp. He gets Kentucky to three final fours was the last coach to ever go against the second greatest coach in UCLA history. John Wooden's final game in the 1975 national championship was against Kentucky with Joe B hall on the sidelines for the Wildcats. UCLA of course won that and John Wooden went off on top, uh, riding to the sunset there, but Joe B hall did not inherit an, envious situation enviable situation uh adolf rep at that point uh was considered the greatest coach in the history of men's college basketball and joby hall you know was learned a lot from rup um but was also his own man and in many ways as as you've kind of heard in the in the ensuing you know what what are we at 36 or so hours since he passed how great and nice of a guy he was off the court particularly once his coaching career is over so he dies saturday morning at the age of 93 and, you know, that's a significant event in the history of Kentucky's program. And for then Kentucky to go out against its rival, its border rival, Tennessee, and put up what statistically is inarguably one of the 10 best offensive performances in the history of the program. I think it's uh, it's just a game that's not going to be forgotten. You know, uh, I don't know if they're calling it the Joe B. Hall game or anything like that, but I'm just a, a major event like the death of a, a beloved coach combined with this Kentucky team and who knows what we're going to see from it, but I make the point in the column and not, if you could be so kind when this goes live on the, uh, on the feed, just to link it within, uh, within the podcast description, Kentucky is certainly national title. Good. It's got that ceiling again. It wins yet again by double digits in its wins. It's now up to 26.6 points in margin of victory in its, in its victories. It averaged 1.47 points per possession which I believe is the third best, according to Ken Palm, in any single game this season. When you consider the opponent, Tennessee was number two in defensive efficiency going to this game. And when I checked Ken Palm like six hours after it had finished, uh, the Vols had dropped from second to seventh, which is halfway through a season to have that kind of a drop is is, is pretty wild overall. Ty Ty Washington had 28 points. Uh, it wasn't just him, but he really had a wonderful game. I thought he had the best probably overall game he's had so far at Kentucky. So while I understand... And again, we'll get to some of these upsets that were a bit noisier. I thought the way Kentucky played was as good as anything we saw this weekend. And it's got it was also the biggest win over a legit opponent Kentucky's had. It's got the win over North Carolina neutral. 
We'll see what UNC is. I think it's going to the tournament. I'm not confident Carolina is going to be better than anything, say, like a six seed at best. Uh, maybe that'll be true of Tennessee as well. But Tennessee has been a better uh, opponent, uh, a better team to this point. And so I thought that was uh, I thought it was notable. It was more points than anyone had scored on Tennessee in 22 years. It was the most points that any team has scored against the top. Again, UK had 107. No team had dropped that many points on a top 25 opponent since 1994. Rick Barnes hadn't had a team drop this many points on him in decades. So, yeah, great on Cal. He's had the, he sported the um, the rolled-up program pregame, which was a Joby Hall staple. I love little touches like this, little tributes. Kentucky dropped into a 1-3-1 on the first possession of the game. And actually, I was watching college game day before this game got played, and Seth Greenberg specifically asked Cal if he was going to do this. And Cal played possum. He's like, the game tips at one. Like, I, you know, no, we're not going to do it. He was going to do it. He knew he was going to do it, but he didn't want to give it away on national television because he didn't want, like, you. if you kind of know what your opponent's going to drop into, maybe you can get an easy two, and it's Cal. Like, he's not going to try and seed any points to Tennessee if he doesn't have to. So he played it off like he wasn't going to do it. He wound up doing it anyway. I thought that was really cool. And, yeah, just a, a big-time win for Kentucky, which matched, I mean, all the stats are in the column. You can go re- give it a read. But it matched its first-half field goal percentage in program history. Shot like 79% from the field. At one point, deep into the second half, Kentucky was edging up on 1.6 points per possession, which, again, is absurd. If you finish the game at 1.2, you've been hot. Being close to 1.5 is otherworldly in how uh, effective you are. They didn't even need Sheboy to have a good game. So credit to Kentucky. Where do you have them ranked, Parrish? And are you with me that – even though it doesn't have the resume to reflect being on the two, three or four line right now, I get that it's going to need more. Are you with me in that we've seen enough to this point where this team should be considered in that group of seven or eight, most likely most viable national title contenders. Cause I, I am there, even though they don't have the high end wins, I think the potential, the ceiling is too good that we're going to look up in March and no matter where Kentucky is seated, I think we're going to have to take them seriously. And this is obviously a huge bounce back season after obviously failing last year in a huge way and having one of the worst seasons in program history. Well, if they keep playing this way at this level, they're going to have the resume that they need to get a high seed. Um, They just don't have it right now, which is, again, we've talked about it. I have them 13th for that reason exactly. Do I really think there are 12 teams in the country that would beat Kentucky tomorrow? I don't know. I just know that based on resumes, that's about where Kentucky should fall right now. They're two and three in quadrant one, one and oh in quadrant two. So they're three and three in the first two quadrants. Three and three in the first two quadrants. For some context, let me walk you through some other schools. Auburn's eight and one, Wisconsin's nine and two, Gonzaga's seven and two, Baylor is seven and two, Kansas is seven and two, Purdue is five and two in the first two quadrants. Kentucky is just three and three. Um, so the resume is lacking, but they're obvious. Oh, and by the way, Kentucky strength the record. Let me just ask you, where do you think they are? Strength of record. It's a good question. I'm going to blindly say, uh, I'll say Kentucky's 37th in strength of record. Better than that, but still not great. 21st in strength of record. But they are up to number three at Ken Palm, which underlines the way they're performing. Um, Seven and one in their past eight. Lone loss in that stretch coming to LSU. Um, They've obviously also lost to Duke and Notre Dame. Um, so the Kim Pom number is strong. The resume is not. I did see this uh, from ESPN Stats and Info. Kentucky on Saturday became just the second team this season to shoot 65-plus percent from the field and 60% from three against a Division One po- opponent this season. So, like, what we watched is not a common thing at all. And I think I heard this on the broadcast. 
that um, Kentucky's shooting percentage in the first half matched what Villanova famously shot against Georgetown in the 1985 National Championship game. Um, you mentioned Ty Ty Washington. He was terrific. 10 of 13 from the field, 28 points. Uh, Kellen Grady, also really good. Four of seven from three, 16 points. And especially in that first half, he just kept in transition, in transition, um, finding a spot at the three-point line, catch and shoot, bang. And he's now shooting a career high. And this is a five-year career, by the way. It's in your normal little four-year or three-year career, the five-year college career. He's now shooting a career high 45.7% from three. So the question is like, why, how? I don't think it's too hard to figure out. He doesn't have to create as much at UK as he did at Davidson because he's surrounded by better players. He's not just a shooter, but he can be just a shooter for Kentucky. And it makes everything easier. Like, let Savir Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington go create the shot for you. Then just take it and make it. And he's taking it and making it at a pretty incredible rate right now. And he is clearly one of the reasons. Yes, Kentucky looks like uh, a legitimate national title contender. I got no issue if somebody wants to, to, to take that stance. Severe Wheeler, by the way, returned after a two-game absence because of the neck uh, issue. Uh, his return was – he was a very important player in this game, and that was, uh, that was great to see. Kentucky – we'll get to this later in the week, but Kentucky and Auburn are scheduled to face each other next weekend, and that'll be a big one. Both, both those teams got to face other teams before we get there. All right, GP, for you, what is, uh, what's next? What do you want to highlight here from a busy Saturday? Well, let's bounce around some other notable results from the weekend, and I want to focus first specifically – on ranked teams that lost at home yes. to unranked teams, lost games they were not supposed to lose in their own buildings. Um, so let's start with the biggest one. Baylor lost at home to Oklahoma State. That's two straight losses for the reigning national champions. You concerned at all um, about the Bears going from 15-0 and to 15-2? and I, I got to be honest, uh, not overly concerned. I still consider Baylor a national championship contender. Uh, but how about this? Just 54 points. Only 54 points for the Bears? Shot 31% from the field? Now, the context is that's important because if you were either out of the house or ping-ponging around, you, didn't, you weren't locked in on this game because you thought it was Baylor at home in Oklahoma State. You didn't get to see a lot of it. James Akinjo did not play down the stretch because he was hampered by this back injury. He was basically at the final 10 minutes of the game, and you could argue that was a major factor in Baylor not being able to kind of escape, and maybe they get the win and they barely get a mention on this pod. Uh, Adam Flagler did not play well. Baylor was down 17 with like 11 and change to go rallied, got the margin to one, and then it had a couple of bad turnovers in the final minute where chance expired. I think James Akinjo is going to wind up being almost as important as any other point guard and point guard inherently. We understand it's an important position, but I'm talking about teams that might need to overly rely on their point guard in that top 10 conversation. The more we get into the season, the more that I actually think I undervalued Akinjo's value to this team after all it lost from a season ago. And I thought what Oklahoma state was able to do was, um, was, was pretty, um, enlightening to that but credit to oklahoma state gp for winning that spot bryce thompson had a game high 19 points mike boynton's team certainly wasn't expected by almost anyone outside of that locker room <laughs> to get the win but it did and baylor i did not realize this um and credit i don't know which statistician or writer it's been repeated so much that i don't know who came up with their research at first but i've i've heard this is the first time ever 
that a number one ranked team has lost back-to-back home games in the same week. Like, I understand if you're the number one ranked team, you're not prone to lose a lot, but you're telling me since the AP poll began in the late 40s, we've never had a number one ranked team drop back-to-back games in the same week at home? It's kind of wild to me. Baylor just did it. It's also the first time in 76 games Baylor lost back-to-back, period. And it was the first time since 2014 that the Bears had lost uh, consecutive games at home. They obviously weren't the number one ranked team in the 2013-14 season. But those are my kind of quick thoughts on the Bears. Um, where do you have them now? Since we've kind of been talking about your rankings, and we want to keep people updated as they listen along here. I'm going to blindly guess. Again, I haven't seen it. Uh, going off resume, I'm going to say you've got Baylor six. I th- I would think that they're for sure still in your top ten. Fourth. Okay, there we go. You'll I get mean, back on that, but I get. Oh, I did a, a lot of a lot of uh, comments. Uh, Baylor loses twice in a week, and you only drop them from one to four. Yes, because to 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 focus strictly on that is to ignore the first, you know, nine weeks of the season. They still have a top four resume in the sport. Baylor's still five and one in the first quadrant, seven and two in the first two quadrants. You're not going to find four better resumes than that. So um, am I aware that they just lost twice? Yes. Um, But like I explained in Sunday morning's top 25 and one, I don't ever get too caught up in how high somebody moves up after a win or how far somebody drops after a loss. What I do every morning is uh, wake up and get a cup of coffee and try to take a fresh look at everything that's in front of me. And say, okay, based on a number of variables, but the most important one being, what is your body of work? Where does this team deserve to be right now? And you're just not going to find four better resumes than Baylor right now. Um, I don't want to speak for Jerry Palm. I would assume when he updates his bracket, he's still going to have Baylor as the number one seed. And people will then tweet at him, but Baylor just lost twice. And he'll say yes, but they still have a top four resume in the country. They just dug a big hole on Saturday. They were down 18. They nearly got out of it. Like, tell me if you agree with this. You you were watching the game down the stretch. So was I. If this were a 43-minute game, does Baylor win it? Probably so. Probably. Noah Kinjo can't say for sure, but it was they were whittling and whittling and whittling. And then, like, Matthew Meyer actually didn't have a good game whatsoever. He was. He made that big shot. Out of sorts. And I can't remember who was on the call. I can't remember. I want to give him credit. But they had mentioned in the first half, because I was thinking the same exact thing about 20 seconds before he mentioned, he's like, Baylor's lost all their confidence. I, I think it was Frischilla was on it. And I like, I completely agree. Like there was something, it was like Monstars lost their juju kind of deal. And I think Drew will get his team back into it. But yeah, if it was 43 minutes, they probably win, but there's still no guarantee of that with no, with no Kinjo out there, but they were, they were getting there and getting there and getting there. Yeah. But 40 minute game credit to Oklahoma state for getting a, a big win in the season, obviously where the pokes cannot get to the NCAA tournament. Cause they are on a band for 2022. Yeah. Um, like, who knows if they would have gotten there, but they were, it felt like they just ran out of time a little bit. Like, cause they were down nine and now it's six and now it's three. Now it's two, you know, it just, and then they just never got there. But like you said, credit to Oklahoma state. That's a massive win. Um, you mentioned a Ken Joe. So he and Adam Flagler ended up combining to shoot one of 18 from the field, two of 10 from three. Like, so good, good luck. Um, when those guys are doing that. And then, I don't know if you've looked ahead, but next up for Baylor, at West Virginia on Tuesday. Now, Kimpom projects it Baylor 73, West Virginia 66, but I'm assuming that's going to be a fight. And Baylor is, I think, at risk 
even though West Virginia just got waxed, and we'll get to that later. But Baylor's at risk of you know going from fifteen and zero to fifteen and three. I mean, you gotta you gotta win. At, you were fifteen and zero and ranked number one in the country. Now you gotta win in Morgantown to avoid a three game losing streak. That's tough. And we'll uh, it will be tough. I will remind listeners at the end of the pod when we kind of run through what you need to know on Monday and Tuesday. But yes, that's a very Tuesday's loaded, and that's one of many that we need to watch. And West Virginia, by the way, coming off of uh, of a loss at Kansas, that's not all that notable. It was up early, and then Kansas blew blew their doors off. So WVU will be plenty pissed off when Baylor comes to town. Another ranked team that lost at home to an unranked team. This one happened late Saturday. If you were double screening, you probably had BYU San Francisco and USC Oregon on. That's what I had. Uh, that's what I had happening over here. Um, what do you think? Does that say more about UC- USC, which has now lost two straight, or no, two of three rather, right? Or Oregon, um, which just went to LA and swept the nationally ranked. Bruins and Trojans in a three-day span. Yeah, USC losing to Oregon, I don't think was a surprise. I think the way it happened in the margin might have been a little bit. It wound up being 79-69, but it wasn't it wasn't really all that close. It was, never, it was never a competitive game, really. It wasn't a competitive game. Oregon was up early and it wasn't just it wasn't all that competitive there. And by the way, these teams are separated as we record here by 25 spots in Ken Palm. USC's 25. Oregon making its way a little bit, uh, up to 50 there. Um, now USC did start 13 and 0 and it's dropped two of three again against teams that might go to the tournament. Like maybe the PAC 12 can be a four bid league here. I Oregon certainly allowed that to now be a possibility by pure nature of getting wins on the road against UCLA and USC, albeit, and I actually think this is a factor. Now they might've won them no matter what, either way, Oregon did play well and give them credit, but there were no fans in the building. That's a thing, man. Like it's a thing. The computers will not take that into account. Perhaps the voters won't take that into account either when you're doing an AP ballot. And I'm not even saying you should. I'm just saying it's a thing. You know, right now UCLA and USC and any other school operating without fans is operating at a real disadvantage. Agreed. Um, and like you listen, uh, USC's got a couple of issues here. Oregon 79. That was more than anyone has scored against USC this season. Um, this was also a revenge win for the Ducks. Remember, these teams met in Sweet 16 last year in the tournament when USC uh, won with ease. And the Trojans, their next two are on the road, Utah and Colorado. So things could stay a little bit bumpy here for Andy Enfield's team. We'll see. But Oregon's the bigger story by nature of getting those wins and altering, probably altering the direction of their season there. Uh, I did see ESPN Stats and Info uh, toss this stat out. Clemson in 75-76, Clemson of all teams, was the last time, we had a lot of history over the weekend here, the last time a team won against two teams in the top five on the road in a five-day span. Maybe it was done in a six-day span three day, three years ago, for all I know, but the, the, the verbiage here is that two wins on the road against top five teams in a five-day span had not happened since 75-76 when Clemson did it. Oregon gets it done here, and Will Richardson was... He was big time, 28 points uh, and shot tremendously well from the field. 1.58 points per shot. Hot, hot, hot for Richardson. Um, Oregon might be putting it together. Even Oklahoma transfer Davion Harmon played well. So we'll see. Oregon's 11 and six. It's at 58th in the net as we speak. Plenty of road to hoe. Its highest team sheet metric right now is 47 in KPI. So Oregon did itself just enough to now get it into the picture 
for at large. It was off, way off before this. A good week for the Ducks there. And USC, we'll see if it can get itself back together. But I kind of think it might drop one of those two next road games. USC is now 4-2 and two in the first two quadrants with zero wins over top 30 Ken Palm teams. I dropped them to 17th in the top 25 and won. Another ranked team that lost at home uh, to an unranked opponent, Michigan State, lost to Northwestern. Um, I dropped the Spartans considerably in Sunday morning's top 25 and one all the way down to 15th. You know, earlier in the week, they barely beat Minnesota, um, needed a, a Joey Hauser bucket at the buzzer to win that game. And then they host a Northwestern team that's on a four game losing streak and missing its leading score. And they were trailing the whole game. Just, you know, it, it, it seemed like, um, I thought it was interesting. Tom Izzo after the game said, this doesn't, I'm paraphrasing here, but more or less said, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. We've been playing on borrow time. That's right. Um, we were fine until we thought, until we, we, uh, until we, until we started thinking we're an offensive team. His point being, we have to guard to win and we're not guarding right now. And that's a problem. Yeah. I'll be quick on this. Michigan state being unable to beat a Northwestern team at home when Pete Nance, the team's leading scorer, isn't available, I, it's you know it's just not a, it's not a good sign. Max Krisky was a minimal contributor. Uh, Michigan State was six of twenty-one from three-point range there, and this, by the way, was Northwestern's first uh, quad one win. And as a result, Illinois now, and I'll get to the line on a few here, but Illinois is now the only unbeaten team left in the Big Ten. Uh, for Michigan State, yeah, I think you were right to drop them. Tom Izzo, always willing to be honest in the, in the post-game press conferences, and we appreciate that. But good on Northwestern. Outside chance at maybe uh, getting to the bid mix here. It needed that win in order to even create that as a possibility down the road. For Michigan State, we wait and see. It's 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 got decent potential, but I don't know. Like I had, I had mentioned in the, in the power rankings last week, that okay, well, maybe this team really is like outperforming what everyone thought it would be. And I had them relatively high because they had won a lot. So I was I was giving them respect for being a, a hot team over the past three weeks or so. And this kind of this kind of loss is uh certainly one just to bring them a little bit back down to earth because ultimately I think Michigan State's much more likely to be in that 20 to 30 range as opposed to in that five to fifteen range. It, it looks like it. You know, they were on a nine-game winning streak, and so I was, you know, sort of in the same boat as you. I had them in the top five, the top twenty-five and one. I mean, they were sitting there on a nine-game winning streak, only had two losses. The losses were to Baylor and Kansas. Pretty good resume, but the computers never liked them. And then they get, you know, they have a bad week. Barely beat Minnesota, get beat by a Northwestern team on a four-game losing streak, missing its leading score. And now, you know, they're 20th in Sagarin, 22nd in the net, 22nd at Kempom, 27th in BPI. Um, I've got them 15th in the top 25 and one. That's a little higher than most of the computers have them right now. Last one I want to touch on, and then we'll get to other thoughts from the weekend. Uh, LSU, at home, ranked, lost to Arkansas. So special shouts to uh, assistant Keith Smart, yeah, who was coaching in place of the injured Eric Musselman. Turns out, maybe other people should consider this, particularly in the time of COVID. Turns out, having a former NBA head coach on your bench to turn to in times of trouble it can be advantageous. No muss, no mess. Good on Arkansas for getting oh, this wow. win. And yeah. Now listen, LSU did not have Xavier Pinson in this game. And again, some of these losses, like I'm crediting Arkansas with the win. And it's going to get, it's 
proper credit when we get to selection Sunday, no matter where Arkansas is or isn't in the tournament picture for getting this win. It's not going to be docked because LSU didn't have Pinson, but no Pinson. His absence was glaring because LSU down the stretch of, I don't know how much you saw this LSU could not score. They, I, they might've had three points in the final, like 11 minutes of this game, man. They went a long stretch without getting a bucket there. Uh, JD Note had 19 points for the hogs and he played well. This like Northwestern got his first quad one win on Saturday. Arkansas also notched its first quad one win by getting this one on the road there. So uh, in a second here, I'll rank off the most to least surprising upsets between these ranked and unranked teams. Uh, this one is pretty high. Good on Arkansas. And now I got to see him for like a couple more games. They're, they're kind of they're twisting me around. I don't know what to make of the hogs. Uh, LSU, you don't want to take this kind of loss. It, sh- it shouldn't. I, I don't think it should sideswipe them too much, but I thought this was a pretty surprising result. Yeah, when I talked to Muss on Thursday night, he did say at one point, we've been playing better than what our record shows. Um, he, he still felt he had a good basketball team. And, you know, now, even at 12-5 and five overall, still a top 40 team at Ken Palm. Um, and Ken Palm projects them as favorites in each of the next six games. So maybe this is a spot where the Razorbacks get on a little bit of a run and and get back, uh, you know, something closer to what most of us thought they were going to be um, in the preseason. So uh, those are f- the four examples from Saturday where ranked home teams lost to unranked teams. You got any other thoughts from the weekend in general? You want to apologize to John Morant's alma mater? We'll get there in a second. All right, here's how I rank. Let me know if you agree or disagree, and if you're watching on YouTube in the comments, you want to chime in, feel free to as well. This is how I – there were seven ranked teams that lost to unranked teams this weekend. Most surprising to least surprising. All right, here we go. Number one, Baylor losing at home to Oklahoma State. We would agree that was the most surprising one of the seven? Yes. Yes. Number two, I have LSU losing at home to Arkansas, and three, you know – Michigan State losing at home to Northwestern. After that, I would have I would have Michigan State losing at home to Northwestern at two. I mean, Northwestern four game losing I, streak yeah. without its best without its leading score. Yeah, the reason why I didn't have that is I watched Northwestern play well for the most part against Michigan State two weekends ago. It was splitting hairs, but I hear you. Like, there's certainly a case for that to be to be made. That was also a closer game than uh, than LSU being able to unable to score at the end. From a point guard a point spread perspective, I think that closed at like Michigan State minus nine or something. Okay, in my four spot. I've got Texas Tech losing at Kansas State, 62-51. The Wildcats are now worthy, became the final team to get a league win in the Big 12. It was Texas Tech's third game in five days. Two of those three games were on the road. So, listen, like, I don't really fault Texas Tech all that much. I don't think this is a damaging loss. The Red Raiders are now 13-4. and All the four losses are respectable. Providence, Gonzaga, Iowa State, and K-State, as we speak right now, I checked it right before we went up, it barely registers as a quad two loss. K-State is 76th. On the road, if you're a top 75 team, it's quad one. We absolutely love arbitrary mathematical cutoffs, do we not? So this could be quad one in two days' time, whatever. Um, I put that forth. By the way, Bruce Weber's flow continues to inspire. In the five spot, I've got Alabama losing at Mississippi State, 78-76. The tide are careening, GP. Sometimes I watch this team. I've watched, you know, most of their past five games. And it looks like they are, at least defensively, like the fact that Herb Jones isn't there anymore, I think is an is is becoming more glaring. They don't seem to have 
nearly the versatility because frankly Herb Jones was one of the five best defensive prospects in last year's draft. Without him, um, I don't know. I don't know what to make that, of that. This was my preseason pick to win the SEC. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but that, but I, I just do it all the time. Uh, that is one. That, I mean, that's the biggest difference between Alabama this season and last season. It's not a style of play thing as much as it's they just don't guard the way they used to guard. And you know, it. You know, let's just connect some dots here. They're missing Herb Jones. That 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 that, and they don't have anybody um, who can who can fill that role. I don't think we thought they would have anybody who could fill that role, but I did think they'd be better defensively. They're just not. By the way, just I'm nitpicking here. Yeah, technically not an upset. Mississippi State was a favorite in that game. Fair enough. This is just rank losing to unrank, but you're right. This was also a road game, which is why I had it in the five spot out of seven there. By the way, Bama, since beating Gonzaga and Houston back-to-back games, at that point we thought, yeah, this team really has a a great shot again to be on that 2C level like a season ago. Alabama has gone three and five. It's riding a three-game losing streak. It's now two and three in the SEC, which I'm not saying it can't win the SEC. I still think that there's enough clutter up at the top and the teams are good enough that if Alabama, you know, flips it and suddenly can win five out of six, then yeah, it's going to be in there. We're not that deep into the season, but man, it's a steep climb. There will be a chance for some redemption though. Wednesday, it does play at home against LSU. Winning that kind of game, I think is critical for Alabama's long-term prognosis if it wants to get a good seed. By the way, I will give Mississippi State credit because it did earn itself an important win. The Bulldogs are 12-4. and This was a team in the preseason expected to get into the tournament, not be a high seed, but maybe flirting anywhere between, say, a 7-12. and Um, Bulldogs did a 2-3 and versus Q1 and Q2 teams, so plenty of work still to be done there. I had that as the fifth one. I had USC against uh, Oregon. I thought I had that as the sixth most surprising, again, considering USC what it had been. And then number seven, talking this real quick, Seton Hall. Lost at Marquette. The least surprising one. Marquette had been hot as of late. Seton Hall had been skidding. But the Pirates were once 9-1. and one. Now lost 4 of 6. I will, to the Seton Hall fans listening, I get it. Bryce Aiken got called. Did you see what, did you, were you able to watch this live in real time? I did not see this. Game should have gone to OT. Bryce Aiken got called for a foul on Greg Elliott right before time expired. He was trying to get up and take a three. Now, Elliott's elbow makes contact with Aiken's face. I, That's it, a foul, usually. If you watch the way it plays out, I, you can argue that maybe it was a little bit suspect, but you know what? Seton Hall had 20 turnovers. Marquette had 10. If it had not turned the ball over so much, you're not even in that spot there. Um, Marquette has won four straight, trying to build a tournament case. But there's work still to do with Marquette. Seton Hall, we'll see, I, I still think, is going to get to the tournament overall. Everyone is now playing distant second to, to Villanova. But Marquette, my God. Marquette is 12-6, and six and it's 4-3. and three. You think, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe Marquette. Dude, this upcoming stretch is it's profane. You ready for this? I am at Nova, home to Xavier, at Seton Hall, at Providence, home to Nova, at UConn. Yeah. Marquette, if you can get through that, at three and four, then I think you're going to have an at-large tournament case. But that is brutal. I, I didn't compare other stretches with other teams. That is a six-game stretch. If you even wanted to include the Hall game at home and make it a seven-game stretch, I don't think anyone in the Big East has anything that tough. You got Nova twice. You're at PC. You're at UConn. You got to have a return game versus the Hall on the road, and you're hosting Xavier. So um, that was the least surprising game to me between a ranked team losing to an unranked team. I don't have the spread on that. For all I know, MU was favored in that. Could have well been the case. I, I think I think Seton Hall closed, if I remember correct, like point favorite. I mean, it was very close. Um, it was basically a toss-up game. 
Um, and so I, I guess one good thing for Mark, Chaka used to be in the Big 12. He knows what this is like. He knows what these stretches are like. He's been through this before. He has. I'll be interested to see. Okay, I'll uh, let me tear through this weekend whip around real quick. Just if you got anything after there, just let me know. But here we go real quick. Iowa State assertive beats Texas. Texas now 0-4 in quad one. Cyclone fans, you are going to the NCAA tournament. I'm pretty much guaranteeing it after getting that win. Very impressive. BYU rebounded from that loss to Gonzaga on Thursday to win uh, at San Francisco, GP mentioned earlier. That's significant for the Cougars. Got uh, them ranked in GP's top 25 and one. San Francisco, I think, is going to ultimately have to make up for a, like a home loss like this. So either it's going to have to pick off one of the other top three teams in the WCC on the road or beat one of them in the, in the turning. I still think the Dons are going to get there, but you really just got to try and hold serve because beating Gonzaga might be too tall of an ask there. So either winning at BYU, getting another win over St. Mary's, uh, keep that in mind there. TCU blows it in regulation on a backdoor cut against Oklahoma, but still gets it done in overtime against the Sooners. I don't know if the Big 12 is going to have eight teams in the tournament, but right now that's a that's a reasonable thing to talk about. Frogs are 12-2. and two. That was a big one. Elsewhere, Xavier pulls away late against Creighton. Musketeers, real quick as we continue, where do you have Xavier in your rankings right now? Let me check. Pull it up as you do. A reminder, Xavier is 13-3. and three. Only losses this season, two to Villanova and Iowa State. No bad losses for the X-Men. What do you Xavier, got? 16th. That sounds about right there. I think they're tracking really well, and I thought that was an important win for them on Saturday. Let's get to the Murray State Racers here. Uh, Justice Hill, 36 points, and they destroy <laughs> Belmont. Destroy them. Big-time stuff. Racers are 14-2. and 3-1, and one, quad one, quad two record. 31st in the net as a Sunday night. Perish legitimate at-large candidate right now. Now, they, sure. they can't take bad losses, but Murray State is, like, comfortably tracking to be in the NCAA tournament. I'm guessing you didn't consider them for top 25 and one, but if they can get that 14-2 mark to, say, 17-2, and 18-2, and I think you're going to probably have no choice but to start considering them soon, even if they're... I know. I looked at them. Um, the the and one number 26, right now, is Davidson mm -hmm. um, with that 13-game winning streak. They got the win over Alabama, but now everybody's got a win over Alabama. But still, it's a win over Alabama. Um, the problem for schools like Murray State is that we say things like in January, like as long as they don't take any bad losses, and right. almost their entire schedule is opportunities to take bad losses. And you just take them sometimes, you know? Like, like you might let, let me let me look at it. And I'll be able to better make this point if I've got the numbers right in front of me. Um, but you, 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 this is the trap I think people fall into when trying to evaluate a Murray State um, or anybody in a similar situation. You look at this and you go, okay, got to avoid bad losses. Got to avoid bad losses. So you look at the the the, the, the rest of their schedule. Just at Kinpom, it's like they got a ninety seven percent chance to beat Eastern Illinois. 99% chance to then beat Eastern Illinois again. 98% chance to beat UT Martin. 95% chance to beat Tennessee Tech. Then 85% chance to beat Tennessee Tech on the road. Then 83% chance to beat Moorhead State. You get the point. It's yes. all like they've got a 78%. They're supposed to win all these games. They're just not going to. And the reason they're not going to is the exact same reason 80% free throw shooters don't make all of their free throws. <laughs> Think about this. I know you're about to go math on us, which is so it's just entertaining. Yes, go ahead. It's it's okay. So you you look at their next ten games and you say 
man, they've got at least a 80 something percent chance to win all of those next 10 games. Well, that means they're going to lose probably one or two of them. That's not you know? how probability works. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, but, but here's the problem when they do exactly what it is they're supposed to do based on mm-hmm. math, people are going to say, ah, they don't have an at-large resume anymore. It, it's, it's, you, you'd be better off being a legitimate top 50 team playing legitimate competition where you get some wins, you take some losses, but the losses aren't devastating. Then if you play this type of schedule and you just slip up, you know, somebody gets hot on the other team, they bang in 14 threes on you. You've got foul trouble. You've got a turned ankle. You've got two players out with COVID. Like this type of schedule gives you no room for error. But from a, from a, uh, a resume building perspective, but in reality, you're almost certainly going to slip up and lose a couple of these games. And when you do, it gets held against you in a way that you can't make up for. We'll see if Murray State can maintain it. It's got the return game at home against Belmont on February 24. And then the tricky one is Moorhead State. It's got a couple of dates with them on the road uh, 12 days before that. Don't think the OVC is going to be in a two-bid spot, but if it's going to happen, then Murray State and Belmont just can't lose to anyone else to even make that a possibility. I do like Murray State's profile. It can probably afford – it's got two losses. I would say, blindly speaking, Murray State can afford to lose two more games and comfortably get in as an at-large. A four-loss Murray State team, I think, is getting to the tournament, but let's not get our head of ourselves. We're two weeks out from selection – two months out, excuse me, from selection Sunday. Real quick, rest of the weekend, you mentioned Davison. Yes, now up to uh, – 13 straight wins, won 87-84 on Friday night at Richmond, clinched with a three in the closing seconds by Michael Jones, who I think had 29 in that game. So uh, noisy night on Friday for the A-10, as we told you on our preview pod on Friday. Bonnie's also keep the league interesting by holding serve in a big way. VCU, good team, rates as the best one in the conference. Hello, Bonnie's 20-point win. I think that's good for the A-10 here. Could maybe potentially, potentially navigate its way to a three-bid situation. Again, a lot of games left to play here, but I thought the league had the results go the way that it needed to go. And like Dayton's got a super, super outside chance, but Dayton also got a win there as well. Oh, by the way, Houston, just so you know, it's 15-2, and two, and it's number two at Torvik behind Gonzaga. One at Tulsa, got another win. Has no play. They have no players. No players. And they, but they never lose. It's unbelievable. So, uh, and we'll have plenty of time for the Cougars going forward. Like, they're going to play more high-profile games. I just wanted to note them here. They're 15-2 and two and regarded in multiple metrics as, as a top-five team. And because the Americans are a bit down, uh, we don't happen to notice them too much. Uh, I'll have one more thing on the American in just a second. Only other thing from Sunday, uh, Minnesota was shorthanded. Iowa gets a nice road win there. And then Nova eviscerates Butler. Whew. Well, 40-point win, 42-point win. 82-42, 40-point win. I saw this ESPN Stats and Info. It is um, the largest ever margin of victory for Villanova in a Big East game. And they played 700 Big East games. It's impressive, man. And Villanova would have had the best offensive game of the weekend, if not for Kentucky doing it in a tougher spot. All right, my last thing for you. Let me put the numbers on it for people. Villanova shot 59.6% from the field, 63.2% from three, and 93.3% from the free throw line. Woo! That was a home game. Remember, um, the bugaboo for Villanova is playing at Butler. 
I don't think that's going to be an issue this season. Butler's really kind of going through it. As we speak here, Ken Palm, Gonzaga 1, Baylor 2, Nova 3, Kentucky 4, and the aforementioned Houston Cougars sit at number 5. Uh, last thing from the weekend, just some housekeeping, if you will. Five teams, and we focus on a lot of positive here, but let's just let's keep people up to date here. These are teams that we will, for the most part, be done with barring uh, them playing in games that are relevant enough to talk about them. But these are five teams with their at-large hopes either gone or they're on the brink. And if they're not, you know, if they're ever going to be revived, they're going to need to peel off, you know, six out of seven wins. Michigan loses in a shorthanded effort, 68-53 against Illinois on Friday night. Again, Illinois is now your only unbeaten team in the Big Ten. Let me ask you real quick, where do you have the Illini? Low, lower than the computers. Um I'm going to have them right now at number 20 and the Ooh, reason, boy. Well, well, listen, you know, I, I, you can say I'm wrong, but <laughs> you can't say I'm inconsistent. I'm basing um, what I'm looking at based on what they've done. And this is a team that's just two and two in quadrant one, just five and three in the first two quadrants. And right. how about this? Let me flip it around on you. Tell yeah. me what Illinois best win is. Illinois' best win is at Iowa. Second best, best win. Second best win just happened, probably. Ugh, it really probably just happened. It's either home to Michigan or at Minnesota. It's one of those two. Not much there. You can acknowledge that. I can't acknowledge that. This, but um, this is one where I can acknowledge this. Man, they look good, though. It's a, it's they a, look good, though. Kentucky situation. Here's what's going to happen. On Monday, they'll beat Purdue at home. And then, boom, they'll have the big wins, and the, I'll adjust accordingly. That's the thing. I, I do this every day. Fair enough. And, uh, yeah, we got a good one on Monday. We'll get to in just a second. Other teams, four other teams, at-large hopes, gone or on the brink. Memphis, we're done. Turns the ball over, final play of the game. I understand there was a little bit of controversy there. Whatever. You lose at the buzzer to ECU, you're 9-7. and seven. It's done. It's over. Virginia loses 63-55 at home to Wake Forest to drop to 10-7. and seven. That's good for Wake. Probably good for the ACC if you want to maximize your bid situation there. Wake getting a road win I thought was important, but Virginia, it's just too many. Also, Louisville, just like Virginia, also 10-7. and seven. Again, these are teams whose at-large cases are on the brink there. 12-point loss at Pitt. Cards had 53 points. What's going on here? Chris Mack admitted in postgame. He's he can't, team. He, 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 I can't find the concoction to motivate my guys, man. So this has become or is becoming a lost year for Louisville. Um, weirdly, a, a Kentucky fans, after the depressing news of Joby Hall, their team goes out, puts out a humongous performance. Louisville does this. So if you're a UK fan, things were uh, things were going your way for the most part there on Saturday. But yeah, Louisville's lost three straight parish. Uh, it can get right with home games against BC and Notre Dame, but it's not going to be enough. I think that they're at large is just about done. And last one from Sunday, Wichita State fell at home to Cincinnati. Wichita State hasn't started 0-4, which it is now. The last time it happened was 08-09 when it was in the Valley. That's the last time this happened. This team that made the tournament last year, GP, we thought it could be certainly in the picture for a three-bit AAC. Probably not going to be the case. Wes Miller, you're doing pretty damn good for yourself. Cincinnati has owned the Shockers since those teams uh, became league mates, if you will. 8-2 and two all time uh, when they've shared rent and the American Athletic Conference and the, the Bearcats. I don't think they're going to the tournament, but who knows? They're 13 and five first year under Wes Miller. Cincinnati does have a win over Illinois, oh, by the way. So uh, I don't, I think it's probably going to be an NIT team, but I do know this Cincinnati has outperformed expectations so far. And that's a really cool thing. So Memphis, uh, Virginia, Louisville, Wichita state, Michigan, Five teams that took L's and your at-large cases are are just about done, if not done entirely. 
All right, let's look ahead before we get out of here to the next couple of days. Uh, not a busy Monday. It's a busy Monday um, for the NBA because of MLK Day, um, which is obviously a big deal in my hometown because, you know, this is where Dr. King was assassinated and um, the National Civil Rights Museum is here, which is a, just an amazing place. Like, for people who have ever, and I've had people who listen to the podcast visit Memphis um, in part because of the podcast, and um, the, like you, you hear about Bill Street and Graceland and Civil Rights Museum, that should be the number. It's not the number one tourist attraction because Graceland, uh, the Civil Rights Museum is the most um, incredible tourist attraction in the city. And so that you'll if you're watching the MLK games on Monday, you'll see it highlighted, I'm certain, during the afternoon game between the, the Grizzlies and the Bulls. So it's a busy day in the NBA, not really a busy day in college basketball. But boy, there's a good one at noon Eastern. Uh, we've mentioned it. Purdue at Illinois, Trevion Williams, Zach Eady, Kofi Coburn, all on the same court. That's great. This is a wonderful noon tip. So I bet you some people are listening to, to this pod, and this is almost taking them by surprise. And if for whatever reason you're getting it to on Monday morning or maybe even early in the afternoon on Monday, if you can get to a TV noon, Fox, Eastern, Purdue at Illinois is just a delectable game, and it's the only game of, of true note on Monday. Monday's populated. We've got like you know 40 or so D1 games, maybe close to 50, but Purdue at Illinois is the one you need to be aware of there. Boilermakers, you know, in a road spot, kind of one of those games where we're going to get news with the AP Top 25, Auburn or Gonzaga. Purdue will be lingering just a bit uh, a bit back, but if it can get a win at Illinois on Monday night, might there's just a chance for uh, for the Boilermakers to remind the nation that it could potentially be the best team. We'll see, but Illinois at home? Whew. I think, that, tell you what, to, wait, to what we just talked about here, this is, this is the spot for the Illini. If you want to be considered just a bit more legitimate. Now, Illinois has won, what is it, nine of its past 10, 10 of its past 11, so it's... Uh, it's a good one. The only other one on Monday that worth noting, though, I did want to bring this up, particularly because of MLK Day. Notre Dame is playing at Howard. That's going to be the game that follows on Fox, Purdue, Illinois. This game was supposed to be played a year ago. Uh, Mike Bray is from the area, you know, uh, played coach at DeMatha forever. COVID postponed this game. And so, but Mike Bray, I remember talking to him about it when he scheduled it. And then when it got pushed, he's close with Kenny Blakeney, Howard's coach. And uh, this game got scheduled in the midst of 2020. I want to say in the summer of 2020, um, when we when we had all of these, uh, of, you know, these racial injustice and, and civil rights issues uh, come back to the forefront uh, uh, across the world, not to mention our country. So that's awesome. I love that. That and I remember when it got postponed a year ago. I, was, I texted with Bray and I said, I hope you don't lose this game. He said, we are not losing this game. We will play this game when we can play it. I promise you. And, and, and here we go. So Notre Dame at Howard. Howard is six and seven out of the MEAC here. Uh, does have a road win against a Bradley team that ranks top 120. So maybe Notre Dame coming off, by the way, um, a tough loss against Virginia Tech. It led in much of that game on Saturday. Um, that's the other one to watch on Monday. You want to let them know what's on tap for, uh, for Tuesday, GP? Because we got no shortage. Tuesday will be populated with plenty of stuff for us to get to when we record uh, the next morning on Wednesday. Tuesday's awesome. Uh, Baylor at West Virginia, Kansas at Oklahoma, Duke at Florida State, Iowa State at Texas Tech. I think those are the four biggest ones. I'm also going to toss to you Davidson at VCU. That's a 7 Eastern tip on CBS Sports Network. Big time A-10 matchup and another 7 Eastern tip. Carolina at Miami is the sneaky one here. Because Miami's got a chance, if it can hold serve at home, to, again, improve the ACC situation, maybe four bids. But, yes, Duke at FSU is the 
is right there with Baylor, West Virginia as the two biggest games, probably. Baylor, West Virginia is a five Eastern tip. Then KU, Oklahoma, Davidson, VCU, UNC, Miami. Those are all seven Eastern. Again, David, VCU, Davidson, VCU. That's a seven Eastern tip on CBS Sports Network. Parrish is the man you'll be looking for because he will be doing studio work pre, halftime, post, the whole deal uh, from New York City on Tuesday, unless I'm talking out of turn, which I don't think I am. And then 9 o'clock, Duke, Florida State's the, the biggest high-profile game. But, yeah, Tuesday's loaded up. And, uh, man, GP, this felt like a great weekend. It really it did. Like, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Hope everyone uh, enjoyed listening live here on YouTube. And if you got to it afterward, well, we appreciate you all the same. But just to put a bow on it, if you have not already, please, I've had a few people find us and say, Listen, I tr I'll try to get to the YouTube, but sometimes just with the way my life is, it's just way easier to do it on the phone. We get that. But we've had people subscribe regardless. Support the show however you can. It is uh, it is highly, highly appreciated. And uh, that's it, man. I'm done. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Damon Manning, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to Ion College Basketball Podcast in the dumb middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime never seen one like this never seen one like this if you're not subscribed please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts including apple Podcasts and spotify five stars at both places you can write a review at apple Podcasts. boy would i appreciate that there's more of us than there are of them don't let them own those uh, podcast reviews those nerds who don't want to have premarital sex there's more of us than than there are of them let's have the podcast reviews at apple reflect that some of the reviews now really are just, I love this podcast. I love premarital sex. <laughs> that's, all, that's all we've ever asked for. If you've ever had sex before you were married or you plan to, or you desire to, we need a five-star review from you. Please also, like we've said, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like it really does help. Um, it takes set. You just got to sign in and hit subscribe and that's it. it. It's easy. Smash the like button while you're there. Brandon Davies would do it. You've got consent. Brandon Davies would do it, and he would do it even while he was risking a trip to the NCAA tournament. You're not risking anything. So go smash the like. You got no excuse. The podcast actually acquired a soundbite of, of Brandon Davies. Like from back in the day. You want to know how that went down? I do. Somebody did. Right there. I'm not about to turn this into an hour and 30 minute podcast. No, uh, but somebody did tag us in a tweet. They were doing some sort of poll among. You saw this? Do you remember what it was? It was. No, there was a. Th I, I think what you're about to mention is that. Oh, man. We, let's try and, and wrap this up, pun intended, I guess. But. Um, the BYU, there's a there's a virginity club at BYU or something. Is that what you're talking about? I would never join that. There's a virginity club at BYU and things are getting out of hand and then people are like, hey, you guys are aware of what's happening here? I, 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 I thought they were like actually asking like, what is your actual position on premarital sex? It felt like they were trying to get something changed. Like, yeah. like maybe we should be allowed to do it before we get married, you know? And then some other people are like, no, we shouldn't be allowed to do it before we get And then they, you know, it was between them. And then, it's none of my business. It has no impact on my life. I don't really care what they do. I'm just saying the official stance of the podcast is in favor of premarital sex, and we would like for that to be reflected in the podcast reviews. So if you've never left a review over there, and you but you do enjoy premarital sex, go help us out uh, with that. And then smash the like button because it's important, and Brandy's, Brandon Davies would do it with no hesitation. Nice rhythm. 
he would do it with a nice rhythm, almost like a like a speed bag. Almost like a, almost like a speed bag in the gym, as if I'm Canelo Alvarez. Like I'm the Canelo Alvarez of premarital sex. You can find the YouTube channel very easily. Just type in I on College Basketball Podcast in the YouTube search engine. It will pop right up. So go do that. We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four the podcast so you don't miss a thing.